Good morning, everybody. This is Imani from the Father's Church. It's Sunday morning. And um, I have a, a really fun teaching that I'm going to do for you today. It's about the journey of faith with the Lord. So um, if you have the handout online, the first four verses that we're going to do, you will not see on your sheet but I'll make sure to um, tell you exactly where to find them, and you can write them in your margins. So we're going to start out with Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's a scripture that I know everybody here knows. It's one of the hallmark of faith scriptures. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So this is a definition. Um, I was thinking about it. If the people who wrote the dictionaries thought of scripture as authoritative you could turn to faith in in the dictionary and you would read this definition right here so we know what faith is based on hebrews 11 1 but there are a lot of other verses that tell us about faith um romans 10 17 this is the second scripture um, faith cometh by hearing and by hearing the word of god and um, Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and know that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So that's kind of our background, like our, our different points in what faith is. But <clears throat> I was really struck by Hebrews 11.1. I think the way that the Bible describes it there is so interesting that faith is a substance. And so my American English-speaking brain is like, oh, a substance. So that means that it's made up of something like, you know, two hydrogen molecules and an oxygen molecule. Like, this is the formula for faith. <laughs> and so, of course, I go to the dictionary and I look up, like, what is the definition of substance? And the definition is, it's the real physical matter of which a person or a thing consists of. It's a solid or tangible presence. And it can also be defined as the most important or the essential part of something. So it's the most important part. That's what faith is, this substance. And so when I first read... Um, Hebrews 1.11, I thought to myself, okay, a lot of hope, I guess you, you add it up, it adds up to faith. But when I did some, some more study, I realized that it's the other way around, that faith makes up things that are hoped for. So we'll go to the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for substance is hypostasis. And when I saw that word, I was really excited because it's a compound word. And so if you don't know what it is, you can you can kind of parse it out there. And so hypo means under or below. And stasis is the exact same word as histeme. So it's the standing, the establishing, to fix something, to make it firm, to be steadfast. And when you read those two things together, it means that hypostasis or the substance is a substructure. And so I was like, wow, that's really cool. So Faith is the substructure of hope. It is the most important, the most essential thing. 
we need it because remember we can't please God without it I thought about um if you've ever I worked with my dad a few summers ago and he's a welder and we were putting together this um this outdoor structure and of course he had his rods and his poles and he set the poles in the foundation and then started to make the the arches at the top and then afterwards way way afterwards we started to add the roof on but the most important part of that structure what allows it to hold anything is you know it's the metal it's what makes it up it's the frame it's the substructure it's the skeleton it's the most important part and that's what faith is so faith is the most important part of what we hope for and it is also the proof and the evidence of what is unseen and um, I think that's really interesting because people that walk in faith they obviously have to see a part of it but it doesn't make sense to most people and it's not something that's easily discerned with the eye you know you think about Noah and he had to build the ark but he also had to accept the concept of rain coming which was something that had never happened before and it took faith to believe the Lord you know that's the most important part that is what gives you your vision that is how we walk by faith so the next scripture um, is 2nd Corinthians 5 6 for we walk by faith not by sight and there's another parallel there drawn with faith as being something that can't be discerned by the outward or the external appearance yes you know we've heard people say I've lost all hope and it makes you wonder what did they lose first mm. That faith, if faith makes up hope, before you can lose hope, you have to have lost your faith. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> before we go and do the parable of the sower, we're just going to kind of encapsulate this. Almost by paraphrasing that first verse there. So, hope is a material thing. It is not immaterial. It is made up of a substance called faith. And faith is the substructure or the undergirding of what both holds up and makes up hope. And faith is also the proof of things that exist and are real but cannot be easily discerned by the eye. But do not forget, faith is the most important or essential thing for without it we cannot please God. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the parable of the sower, and then we're going to make some connections later on to the life of Saul and his kingship. Um, I really like the parable of the sower. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Like so many things in the Bible, it's, um, it's spoken as a mystery, right? And it is our glory and our duty to seek out those things. But I like this because the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, <laughs> this, is, this is hard to understand. Can you break it down? And then Jesus tells them directly, you know, this is the translation. This is the meaning of this parable. So we're going to go ahead and read the parable of the sower from the book of Matthew, because it's written in all four Gospels there, but we have it from Matthew. 
So Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9 says, And he spake many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among the stony places, where they didn't have much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, but because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun came up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, and the other fell into the good ground, which is the goal, right? And they brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who has, he who has ears, let him hear. I like that part because we know that faith cometh by hearing, by hearing the word of God. And, and Jesus was telling them this, so they heard this with their ears. So we're going to go through and um, kind of read and talk a little bit, dialogue about the interpretation that Jesus like gave them after he told them this parable. So Matthew 13, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said to them, okay, this is the parable of the sower. I'm going to explain it to you. Verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and he doesn't understand it, then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. So that was like so much. That was literally two sentences. But from that we can gather so much. That this parable is talking about the heart of an individual. That the heart is where the word is received into. We see that the word of the kingdom is a valuable seed. So valuable and inundated with possibility that the enemy would steal it before it can even grow. Um, it also makes you realize that a person can hear and receive the valuable seed and in themselves still have no understanding of its meaning or value. Like God is so good that his word can produce life in us and we, we are not even aware of it. And yeah, I literally skipped ahead, so that was right. <laughs> For faith cometh by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. So Jesus goes on and explains um, Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21. He continues to explain to them. He says, but he that received the seed into the stony places is the same as he that hears the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he doesn't have a root in himself. And he endures for a little while, but when tribulation ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. So there's a couple extra eyes in tribulation right there. So it's a tribulation. <laughs> so the the word for tribulation is the lipsis, which is a pressure or oppressing or persecution. Okay, this verse these two verses tell us that the recipient was connected to, was happy with, and they accepted the word when it was given to them. Okay, that's, I think that's a good goal for evangelism. You're like, yes, the person received the word, good. And the word was planted in the hearer's heart for a while. So it was there, and then tribulation came. 
But the verse says, tribulation comes because of the word. Yeah. So I think, I think it would be really good. I'm reminded of like when I was in Bible school, we would do outreach. We would go out to Cedar Springs and um, we would worship and talk and just like, just be a point of contact to people that lived out in Cedar Springs. And if you're not from Dallas, that is, um, that's an area that's really heavy in LGBTQIA+. That's their population. A lot of people live out that way. And so we would go out and we would just take our guitars and worship and sing and talk with people. And you'd be really excited when you would make a genuine connection with someone, when someone's heart was receptive. I don't think we ever thought, like, after we walk away from this person, you know, this is going to be taken away from them. So that's, that's always good whenever there's going to be a point of ministry, just to, to cover, cover everything and just declare that this would not happen to the person that you're ministering to, right? But that that the seed that you sow will go down into good soil and that it will be able to bear fruit. And, um, yeah. I'm going to flip the pages here. almost feel the responsibility to tell them okay look this is what's going to happen yes tribulation's going to come pressure's going to come to try to steal that away but it's just not necessarily what you're thinking in the moment there's just rejoicing that they've received that's really good amen so Hosea chapter 10 verses 12 through 13 says sow to yourselves in righteousness Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you did trust in thy way, in thy multitude of thy mighty men. This verse tells us that when there is fallow ground, it must be broken up. And we must be diligent to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, and he will rain his righteousness upon us. So um, before we pick up in 1 Samuel and talk about the story of Saul, I'm going to kind of fill you in on some background stuff that was happening. So um, as you know, when Israel was established, they did not have an earthly king. You know, God was their king. And there were the judges, and they were the prof- there were the prophets, and there were all of the laws that the Lord set forth to help the people be governed. Um, but they did not have a formal figurehead. They did not have a king that wasn't, that wasn't the Lord. So the children of Israel were fighting with the Philistines, and they began to cry out to the Lord, saying, you know, we want a king, we want a king. Samuel, the prophet, who was an old man at this time, he was displeased by this. He was like, y'all don't need a king. Like, you have the king. And so Samuel talks to God. God listens. God says, okay, go to the people, give them what they want, but seriously warn them about what kind of king they're going to have. Warn them about what they're asking for. Let them know that it will not be everything that they think it will be. And so this is all kind of playing out when Saul comes into the picture, tells us that um, 
in the word that Saul's dad was like an esteemed man. He was, you know, somebody of importance. And they obviously had servants and cattle and livestock because they lost some of their donkeys. And, and Saul's dad says to him, go on, boy, go find the donkeys, you know. <laughs> Get a servant, go find them donkeys. So they go off and they're looking for the donkeys. I have to say, there, there probably was no Louisas in their town. Louisa is a new character from a Disney movie, and she, she would never drop or lose a donkey. So there were no Louisas in Saul's town. <laughs> so they're looking for the donkeys. They can't find them anywhere. And Saul says, let's forget about these donkeys. Let's go back. You know, my dad's going to forget about these animals, and he's going to start worrying about us. So let's, let's go back. And so the servant says, you know what? We're near the town where the man of God lives, and I think he's home. You know, he's probably here now. We can just go ask him if he knows where the donkeys are. He'll tell us where to go. We'll get the donkeys, then we'll go back home. Saul's like, okay, do you have a gift? The servant's like, yes, I have a gift. Like, I have, you know, a little bit of money. We'll give him this. So they go around. They ask some young women at the well, hey, have you seen... You know, is the seer home? Is the prophet home? Is the man of God home? They're like, yeah, you're going to run right into him. And so they do. And when they run into Samuel, Samuel's actually coming to greet Saul and his servant because Saul is about to be, become the king. So right around that time, everything was just kind of culminating, and, and Saul was in, he was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> I think about that, just a little side note. How many times do things happen to us and we think, ah, oh, this is the last thing I need to lose a donkey today, you know? <laughs> and lo and behold, like you're walking right into like the purpose and the plan and the providence of God. And, and you're like, this is a huge inconvenience, but no, God is, he's setting you up for something good. And this was the case for Saul. So 1 Samuel 8 10 through 18 kind of picks up in the middle of this story um, while Samuel is telling the children of Israel what kind of king they will have. So uh, verse 10 says, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. He said, This will be the manner of king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons. He will appoint them for himself for his chariots, to be his horsemen. And some of these young men will run in front of the chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, over fifties. And he will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he'll take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your oliveyards and the best of them and give them to his servants. And he'll take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give them to his officers and to his servants. And he'll take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and he will put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your sheep, and you shall be his servants. And you'll cry out in that day because your king, which y'all people wanted, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Okay. So I think this is really important to note because we're about to talk about how, how God took the life of Saul 
and how how God had a purpose and a plan for him. He totally gave him everything he needed to be the best version of himself. But Saul, he didn't listen. So it's really interesting that even before he's the king, you know, the Lord is telling Samuel to tell the people, this is what kind of king he's going to be. And even though God knew this is who he would be, he still stretched forth a hand of partnership with Saul. He still changed his heart. And we'll, we'll read about that. So we'll continue with Saul's story. Um, Saul was anointed by Samuel, and they found the donkeys. And um, Samuel told him, yeah, your, your father has stopped worrying about the donkeys. He is worried about you. And I think that's funny, because that was a private conversation that, um, that Saul had with his servant. And that was kind of like the way that he put it. You know that he knows his dad. My dad is going to not be worried about the donkeys anymore. He's going to be worried about us. And so when the man of God said, you know, rehearsed back to him, he repeated it exactly the way his dad would say it. And I was like, wow, that's cool. So he said, you're going to go down. You're going to meet some people. They're going to have some raisin cakes. And they're going to have some, um, what do you say, some a wineskin of oil. And they're going to have three loaves of bread. And they're going to offer to you two loaves of bread. So take the two. And then you're going to see a procession of prophets. And as they're coming down, you're going to prophesy. You're going to be changed into another man. And Samuel's telling Saul all of this, like on the day that they met. And um, he said, God will be with you if you do all these things. And so he tells him a little bit about what's going to happen. Um, on the day that Saul is kind of christened as king, Samuel tells all the people the order for like what a king is, what happens with a king. These are the rules. And so right here, as Samuel's talking to Saul, he says specifically, you know, we're going to have burnt offerings in Gilgal, and if we ever do that, you know, you got to wait seven days for me until the appointed time until I come. And so he told Saul everything he needed to know. And then it said when his back was turned away, when he started to go, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he, Saul was given another heart, and he was changed into a new man. So we'll pick up in 1 Samuel 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets came down to meet him. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. So the word for heart there is um, the Hebrew word for leb. And leb is figuratively used to describe the feelings, the will, the intellect, or the center of a thing. So the Lord offered partnership to, to Saul. He changed his mind. He changed his feelings. He changed his will. He gave him a new heart, and then he came upon him mightily. So therein lies his opportunity for partnership, right? And we all have had those encounters with the Lord where we come away changed. And I think it's so interesting that when people talk about the life of Saul, they just talk about all the ways that he failed. And he failed pretty big in a lot of ways. But the Lord offered his hand of partnership to him. The Lord changed him, and, but he didn't remain changed. And so we're going we're gonna to read 
into that in a little bit. So Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 through 20 says, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and that they may keep my ordinances, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Okay. So the next scripture, Matthew 13, 22. We're going to go back into the parable of the sower for a little bit in Jesus' interp- Jesus's interpretation of that for the disciples. So verse 22 says, He also that received seeds among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of this, wor- this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So that's just one verse, but I I looked up like four different parts and I was literally blown away. So the word for cares of this world is the word marimna and it means solicitude or distraction. It's those things that seek to arrest your attention, to divide up your your attention, to, to disunite you so that you're not pursuit in full pursuit for one cause in one way. So it's just to disunite. And the word for deceitfulness is apate, which means delusion, okay? And the word for riches is plautos, which is abundance, richness, money, wealth, possessions. And the word for choke is simpingo, which means to strangle completely, to choke utterly. It can also be used um, to mean to drown or to press in so tightly to throng someone so as to cause suffocation. So we can paraphrase that verse, and it it reads powerfully. He also that received seed among the thorns is the person who heard the word, and distractions that seek to disunite along with the delusions of abundance, wealth, money, and possessions arise. And when this happens, the word or the seed is utterly strangled, and the person becomes unfruitful. We're going to go back into the story of Saul. We heard about Saul's hopeful start. And um, as Samuel said before the people and before Saul, you know, if the people don't obey the Lord or if the king doesn't obey the Lord, if they rebel against his word, that he would deal harshly with them as he did with their ancestors. So 1 Samuel 13 is the story of Saul in battle with the Philistines. It's his second year as king. Um, He goes down to battle, and Samuel took longer than expected to arrive at Gilgal, at the meeting place. They were supposed to burn peace offerings and fellowship offerings, and it was customary that the seer, the prophet, would do that. And Saul was impatient. He didn't want to wait any longer, and so he noticed that the Philistines were assembling at a nearby city. They were assembling in Mishmash, and they were there at Gilgal, and he was like, these people are going to come down and attack us, and I won't be able to do anything back because the people will say, you know, you didn't consult the Lord first. So he says, I'm just going to do the burnt offering. I'm just going to do the sacrifice. I'm just going to do it, and then if they come down, we'll be ready, and it's fine. (laughs) That's literally what he did. (laughs) 
And so 1 Samuel 13, 13, Samuel comes down. As soon as he finishes burning the burnt offering, Samuel appears. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because you have not kept the word which the Lord commanded thee. I think this is really interesting because when they were looking for a king, well, you know, God doesn't really have to look, but he looks. <laughs> and they found Saul, and it said that he was like the handsomest young man, like as handsome as any man could be found in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone. And we know that God, you know, touched his heart. And so right here it says the Lord would have established his kingdom forever. You know, should should he have yielded? Would he have yielded and become the man that the Lord wanted him to be? He could have, it could have been a one and done. You know, we know that Jesus came through David and the Lord knew, and that was always going to be because he knew the decisions that Saul was going to make, but God in his faithfulness still extended a hand of partnership. He still extended an invitation. And so I think that's just really interesting to note that even though the Lord knows what's going to happen, He's always extending that hand, always wanting to partner with us, always giving us an opportunity to become who he says we are. That's so powerful to me. So we're going to continue in Saul's story. Jonathan, Saul's son, would become David's best friend one day. And there are some interactions that you see with Jonathan where he, he trusts in the Lord. And it's so interesting because Saul is his father. And a lot of the things that Saul does, it appears that he has a very low, you know, a low opinion of God's word. You know, at one point he was going into battle and he was like, yeah, let's pursue these Philistines. And there was a priest and he was like, don't you want to ask God first? <laughs> like, we should ask God if he'll give us this, this victory. And it was, it's always like an afterthought. And then here is Jonathan, Saul's son, who becomes David's best friend later. He, he has a respect for the Lord, and that's, that's, that's a nice testament of the Lord being able to reach anyone, no matter where they are or who the, whoever they're born to, wherever they live. So when Israel was in battle, Jonathan took his armor-bearer, and they went up to a certain place, and he said, um, Let's go over to this Philistine encampment over here. You know, if the Lord is with us, the people will say this. If the Lord is not with us, the people will say that. So they go over and they goad on the Philistines. And the Philistines say, yeah, come over here. And that's the key word. So Jonathan and his armor bearer go over. And they, like, slaughter, like, 20 men within the space of a half, half of an acre. And then it talks about how... Uh, his, you know, Jonathan's strength was emboldened, and then the terror of the Lord fell upon the, the Philistine army, and the ground started to shake, and they responded in confusion, and they started hitting each other with swords, and there was just like mass chaos, and the children of Israel are watching this, right? There's also a verse that talks about how the Philistines didn't 
they didn't want Israel to make any weapons, so on this day of battle, Jonathan and Saul were the only people in the army that had swords. They had no, the children of Israel had no swords. And so to me, that makes sense while why they weren't fighting, you know. <laughs> and so then you see, they see the army of the Philistines, you know, melting away. And um, this emboldens the children of Israel, and they, they chase them. They put them to flight. And so they won a great victory that day because, uh, because of Jonathan, because of Saul, Saul's son, Jonathan. So after this battle is over, the Lord makes provisions for the weary troops. Um, they go into the woods, and on the ground is like all this honey. And as they walk into the woods, it says that more honey falls down. But Saul's self-reliance and his pride kept the children of Israel from eating that day. So we're going to read about that in 1 Samuel 14. This is a long passage, but we can do it. 24 through 32. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. Okay, so the verse before, it's not here, but it says, you know, it was a great victory that day, and they were excited. Then the next verse is, they were distressed that day. (laughs) For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies. So, none of the people tasted food that day. And they came of the land to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. When the people came into the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath of the king. But Jonathan heard not what his father charged his people to the oath. So he put the end of his rod that was in his hand, he dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Your father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father has troubled the land. See, after I ate this, my eyes were enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, and happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For there had not been so much now a greater slaughter among the Philistines. And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. So they were so hungry, the people flew upon the spoil, they took the sheep and the oxen and the calves, they slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. They were ravenously hungry. They were hangry, (laughs) y'all. And then in verse 33, then they told Saul, saying, look, The people are sinning against the Lord. They're eating the food with the blood. And he said, oh, you guys have transgressed. Roll a great stone over to me this day. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me all your oxes, bring me your sheep and slay them here and eat. And sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox to him that night and they slew them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. And this was the first time that he had ever built an altar unto the Lord. This was two years after Saul had become king. It's, it's just, it appears that the things of the Lord are, are an afterthought. You know, he's, he's really excited to go into battle to rout his enemies, to do that side of the job. But 
His heart was not perfect towards the Lord, as we find with David later. So we'll continue in Saul's story. He had bitter war with the Philistines, and he had war about him on all sides. He fought valiantly. And at some point during all this fighting with the Philistines, the Lord says, hey, I'm going to send you on a special assignment. I want you to go to the Amalekites, and I want you to utterly destroy them. He said, okay, Saul, every man, every woman, every child, every animal, bring back nothing, destroy them. And so Saul goes in with his soldiers, and they kept the king alive, and they kept the best of the flocks. And he and his men were unwilling to destroy everything completely. And the Lord was angry that Saul did not explicitly obey him. He talked to Samuel. Samuel went to go talk to Saul. And Saul saw no issue with his behavior. He said, we were going to sacrifice the best of the cattle to, to the Lord. So we're going to read what he said, his response. First Samuel 15, uh, verse 20 says, it's going to be 20 through 23. And Saul said to Samuel, yay. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, you know, they took of the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So listening is better. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he is also rejected you from being king. That, that's terrifying. You know, we, we want to honor the Lord with our lives, with everything we are, with everything that we do. We are his ambassadors. You know, he should be able to send us on a mission, send us on an assignment to tell us to do or to say or to give anything, and we should do it. So Saul always had this little piece of himself tucked away that he hadn't surrendered to God. Even after a mighty encounter, he still had parts of himself that he didn't surrender. I was kind of pondering on that. And I have been so blessed, and we have been so blessed to have had the experiential power, you know, of God poured out on us. We have experienced his love, his mercy. We have all, you know, had times of intercession or weeping on the floor where we get up changed. I think a lot of us have been given a new heart. You know, a lot of us have been turned into a new man many, many, many times, right? And we may come away from an encounter changed, but what Saul's story teaches us is you will not stay changed if you do not surrender all that the Lord has asked of you. 
And we must prepare our hearts to give our all, and we must be willing to die to ourselves daily, right? Saul wasn't willing to die to his own selfish ambition, and it cost him. It cost him everything. So um, I had this, when I was a teenager, I had a relationship that I was really all about. People have those in their teens. <laughs> and um, it wasn't good. I surrendered it to the Lord. And maybe like two years ago, the Lord just shocked me. He said to me one day, you know, Monty, I want you to give me this. You know, you have this place in your heart that you go to where you mourn the loss of this thing that I have removed from you. You go there to comfort yourself. Like, give it to me. Let me renew you. <laughs> and as I was, like, preparing for this, I was thinking about this story, and the Lord gave me a, a picture. You guys remember in Lord of the Rings? You remember Gollum, how he's in the cave with the ring, and he's like, my precious, you know, when God said, give me that morning for that relationship that you have, that you have not laid down to me, I was Gollum. I was in the cave, I was like, no. Like, <laughs> this is mine, you know? <laughs> it's not hurting anybody, it's a cemetery I visit at night when I'm lonely, like, what? The Lord says, no, it is unfruitful, give it to me. And, I mean, obviously I did. I'm here, you know. And the Lord asks us for things, and we give it to him because we're here, right? But if we don't give the Lord what he's asking to us, if we don't lay down every ounce of ourselves, if we don't get rid of our selfish ambition, if we don't get rid of our propensity to doubt or to judge, if we don't get rid of our need to prep every step of the way, whatever it is for you. I remember when I was in Bible college, the Lord asked me for this before he ever asked me for that relationship because, you know, he, he works us up to the big things. But um, I was in Bible college, and I was eating a bowl of macaroni and cheese. Mm. <laughs> macaroni and cheese used to be my jam. I am lactose intolerant now. I will not be eating that. <laughs> but at the time, I, that was, yes. And so I'm, like, eating this macaroni and cheese. And the Lord just quietly says to me, <clears throat> do you love me more than you love this bowl of mac and cheese? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> and you know, and there will be other times the Lord would say, you know, do you love me more than this thing you're eating? Can you put that down? If I ask you to leave five bites of this on the plate for me, will you do it? And man, I was Gollum in the cave, like, this is my turkey sandwich, this is my bowl of cereal. No, but, but we give to the Lord what he asks, right? That's silly, but. So, let's see where we are with that. Saul kept the king of alive, and he saved the best of the flocks. He was unwilling to destroy everything completely. He did not, Saul did not break up the fallow ground in his heart. He did not seek the Lord. But we have to prepare our hearts again and again and again to receive and to submit. 
Saul is given to self-reliance. We must get to the end of ourselves when we understand that outside of God, there's literally no other pathway. Like, there's no other alleyway. There is no saint's version light. <laughs> you know, I, I get to spend a couple days a week with Levi, and sometimes I'm picking Pastor Fabian's brain and asking him questions. And there's this thing now, it's, it's YouTube church, basically. You know, there are all these ministries, they do these little blurbs, and, you know, I have friends that follow these ministries, and it's, it's cool, but it's not, it's not enough, you know? It's like eating chips all day and night. It, it is, that's what it's like. <laughs> There's no sustenance. sustenance. And so I, I remember asking Pastor Fabian, I was like, can I, what if I just, you know, what if I just look at these, can I do this, can I read this, what if I, and, the, and he's like, no, we don't have that. Like, you have to read the books. <laughs> he's like, no, that's not how we do things. You have to study the word. You know, you have to pray. You have to spend time with God. You have to pay the price. This is what is required. And so there is no other pathway to achieve the perfect will of God outside of obeying the perfect will of God. And we can't improve on God's plan. So Hebrews 10, 35 through 38 says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, that you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We don't want to be the ones that draw back. No. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Hebrews 11 five through six say it says by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him so, does anybody have any questions? I would just ask. Okay. Hebrews 8, uh, Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And when he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And through faith also, Sarah herself received the strength to conceive the seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. So this is just kind of um, rehearsing all the, the great men and women of faith that went on before us. Um, none of these people were perfect. Except for, I don't know about Enoch, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he, he pleased God. And Abraham's faith pleased God. So Hebrews 11.23, um, going back to the parable of the sower, it says, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So First Peter 1, 1 through 2 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And so our, our last scripture, 1 Peter 1, 12 through 17 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice, and as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of the glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it is first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? So that was a teaching about the journey of faith with the Lord. We talked about uh, the parable of the sower. We talked about faith, what faith is made up of. We drew some instances from Saul's life. That just, uh, Saul's life, man. God offered him everything and it just shows you that when you're not willing to lay down what the Lord asks of you that it can have just huge consequences so do I just pray and close us out I just wanted to say uh, along that line with Saul uh, yes is the answer to your question but let me ask this first or say this first um there was that point where Saul was so worried about defeat the next day. What did he do? He went to the soothsayer, to the, basically the witch, right? At that point, he had lost hope. What do you
lose first. That's right, for sure. And I keep going back to that. It was so good that you brought up in the very beginning. Faith is a framework. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that it's that welded metal that you talked about. It's the framework upon which hope is built. And it's ironic that people will say sometimes, well, I hope it does, but I don't know that I have the faith for it to happen. It's backwards. It is. We lose faith before we lose hope. And, uh, well, faith is only cultivated. It's only the relationship that we yeah. have that. So if you're not doing that, then that leads to the yeah. hopelessness. Yeah. People think people tend to look at it the opposite way, the, the wrong way, don't mm -hmm. they? And that was very true in Saul's life. Too. It was. Yeah. And you think about Saul, he was just given that. But yeah. it wasn't based on what God would have said relationship. Hmm. You know, he just looked for, you know, I mean, you know, we know God was looking for something, you know, that we don't really understand what was going on. But it says in the scripture he was good looking, he was tall, he was, you know, he had a great presence yeah. among the people. And, you know, that is just going to get you nowhere. You know, stature gets yeah. you nowhere. It's not enough. All, all of those physical things seem to be his. And then shortly after, we run across devil putting a much bigger guy up next to him and he cowered at it and who went after him this young david yeah young teenager if that yeah. father we thank you for this morning we thank you for the time that we could spend together um, as brothers and sisters and saints and your children and your word we just declare that all of these words that were spoken today and all of the things that we heard would build faith in us and that the seed would go down into the good ground, into the good soil of our hearts. If there be any place in us that still needs to be tilled, any places in us that need to be surrendered, in the loving, patient way that you do, remind us of those areas and give us your courage to surrender it. Because we know that whenever you ask for something, it's because you have something better. It's because you want to grow us higher. It's because those things will weigh us down if we don't give it to you. So we, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We just seal all of these words. And uh, we just plead the blood of Jesus over our mind, our wills, our emotions, our hearts. And we just declare that... Um, we are consecrated unto you that you may have your way in our lives. Amen.